0: The following audio is from Calvary Chapel Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles, Second Chronicles chapter seventeen. Second Chronicles chapter seventeen. Wednesday nights, you know, we're just teaching through the Bible. We find ourselves here now in this portion of Israel's history, going through the various kings that that reigned during the the divided nation's history. As we've said before, Chronicles focuses on the southern portion of the divided kingdom known as Judah. This is where Jerusalem was. This is where the lineage of David continued. And the the nation in the north, Israel, although they were part of God's people, they, um, they they, they were not under the lineage of David. There were many dynasties that would change in the north. But in the south, only one, and God did this on purpose. He preserved a small portion of the nation to be under David's lineage. He wanted to keep a lineage to David on the throne forever. So we pick it up tonight. Of course, uh, a new king coming to the scene. We've been looking recently at King Asa. He was a good king, even though he had trouble there when he finished. The scripture still gives him an endorsement of being a king that did those things that were pleasing to the Lord. And now his son, a king by the name of Jehoshaphat, shall come to the throne. And let's take a look in verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. So he's reigning in the south, and he's strengthening himself against the north, Israel, because there's this kind of ongoing uh, civil war skirmish between the two north and south verse 2 and he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim with Asa his father uh, excuse me which Asa his father had taken now the lord was with jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father david he did not seek the baals but sought, for the, sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. This is a good king. This is a king that had a pretty good example as a father, King Asa. As we mentioned, he became a little self-sufficient in the end of his reign and failed some of the things that the Lord had for him. But all in all, he was a good king, and Jehoshaphat now comes and the Scripture says and identifies a number of things that I think are important for us to, to take note of as well. Uh, First of all, it says that he walked in the former ways of David, there in verse 3. Remember, David was something of the standard. As you read through the Chronicles and the various kings are compared, they often refer to how did they live for the Lord compared to David. Did they follow in the steps of David, or did they fall away from the steps of their father David? Obviously, great-great-grandfather David through the lineage and we know that David was an imperfect king. So when the scripture says this was a good king and followed after the, the lineage of his steps of his father, David, it doesn't mean that he walked in perfection because David didn't walk in perfection. We know that David stumbled on more than one occasion. But something unique about David is that even though he had his ups and downs, he never worshipped any other god but Jehovah, Yahweh. His heart was always loyal to to his God, he stumbled in pride. He stumbled in lust. He stumbled in you know a lot of kind of carnal things. But he never ever worshipped another God. And this is important in the nation of Israel, and that's why the Scripture points out that he walked in his father, uh, according to his, uh, in the steps of his father David, in that he did not seek the baals, the the foreign uh, pagan gods of the surrounding nations and this is the this is the trouble that plagued israel and judah eventually throughout their time there in the land they would continue to worship the lord but they would also incorporate the worship of the pagan nations around them and this became something that they kind of tried to mix together. They still worshiped God, and that's why it's confusing. Sometimes you read through these stories, and here they're, they're worshiping God, they're offering sacrifices, but then God's not happy because they're also worshiping God the false gods. Baal was a fertility god, a god of, they, they believed that the, the god that controlled the weather and helped bless the land. They, they worked, uh, worshipped the Ashtara, which was a, a fertility goddess, and it, it involved a lot of sexual immorality in its practice. And so there was this kind of carnal appeal uh, within the, the worshipping of these foreign gods. And Many of, many of the people of Israel, they incorporated this into their faith. And that's not the case of Jehoshaphat. That was never the case of David. David was never plagued with worshiping foreign gods. He was plagued with his own sinful, carnal ways, but he always worshiped the one true God, and always his heart always returned to the Lord, his God. And this is the case of Jehoshaphat. And it's it's not like we can imagine this in our own time, you know, because typically we don't have these little foreign gods or these pagan practices incorporated even in our secular culture, but the same kind of loyalties of the heart can distract our faith. We we we, we worship the Lord, we're followers of God, maybe we're even, you know, walking in good relationship with him, but we have to admit that some of the competing idols of the world can distract us. And we see even in a believer's life, a Christian's life, this trying to manage, trying to worship the, the, the God of their faith and also the gods of the world. Not gods and little idols that you bow down to, but things that attract and things that begin to dominate your thinking and your devotion and your loyalty. A divided heart. And this was the trouble in the nation of Israel, and this is what God detested. You're to love the Lord your God alone, and there, there is, there, God, has, God is to be worshipped exclusively. And as Jesus would call his disciples, and let's just bring this right up into the New Testament and to our understanding, that some of the harshest things that Jesus said were concerning discipleship. We're going to look at some of that here, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. But but some of the things that are hard to even, wow, Jesus, that seems really strong. It is strong. It's intended to be strong because it, when it becomes to the wor- comes to the worship of your heart, the devotion of your life, the first love of your life, God can have no rival. God can have no competition. He is to be worshiped and devoted to exclusively. And this is the trouble that was taking place in Israel. This is the trouble that was taking place also in Judah, but not under Jehoshaphat. His heart followed after the Lord exclusively, as his father David did. David would write this in Psalm 86.10, For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. David never forgot that. That's something to keep exclusive in our hearts as well. No divided loyalties. The other thing that it says concerning Jehoshaphat, not that he, only that he walked in the ways of David, but that he sought the Lord God of his father, verse 4, and what that looked like was he walked in his commandments, not according to the acts of Israel. This is a king that was obedient to God. He walked in the laws of the Lord. It's one thing to say you're loyal. It's another thing to live a life that is loyal, and that's the ultimate manifestation of of your faith is how you're living. What's it look like? Is it bearing fruit in your life? Are you actually demonstrating a heart that is loyal to God? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll follow my commandments. You'll do the things that I say. So this is a king that, that was loyal to the Lord. This is a king that was obedient to the Lord, not like the, according to the Acts of Israel. He wasn't falling into the, into the plague of disobedience like his neighbors in the north. And, and it says also that his heart took delight in, in the ways of the Lord, there in verse six. So just a number of heart things about Jehoshaphat that we can draw from. He walked according to his father David in that he was loyal. He walked after the Lord in that he obeyed his commandments. And it says that he took delight in the ways of the Lord, so much so that he removed the false places and false idols. His delight was in the Lord. And I I, want to remind you that our following the Lord Although God is very, um, wants to be exclusive, and there is no compromise, there is also a great delight and a great blessing when you make the Lord the Lord of your life. You know, we think that, you know, if, if we can have other things included in the, the idol of our heart, that somehow we can manage it and we'll find even, we'll find the balance, we'll really be happy. We can have it all, we can have it on both, both ways, but really it ends in misery, it ends in discouragement. It ends in, in uh, confusion. And, and, and what God is saying, look, if you'll, follow, if you'll put me first, if you'll keep me at, at, the, at the very uh, center of your heart and devotion, you'll be blessed. You'll find joy. You'll find peace. We're created for this. And this, this king took delight in the ways of the Lord. So hold your place there. And I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about Jesus' words concerning discipleship. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. I'm sorry I didn't get these for you on the overhead tonight. Just have to turn your Bibles the old-fashioned way. Let's hear some pages turning. Luke 14, or your or your fingers moving across your iPad or phone, however you're tracking with us tonight. Luke 14. We'll be coming back to 2 Chronicles. But as I mentioned, some of the hardest things that Jesus said were, were regarding discipleship and this this kind of no compromise, exclusive devotion to God. Verse 25 of Luke 14. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, now just stop there for a minute. It's almost like Jesus has said, okay, it's time to thin the crowd. You know, the big crowds following, Every Jesus has got the, the ministry is very popular in this moment, and Jesus now wants to take the time to let him know what discipleship is really all about. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, maybe we were doing okay, hating father, mother, children, brother. but then my own life also, then it got a little personal. You understand what Jesus is saying. He doesn't desire that we would hate these people. He's talking about in contrast. In contrast to your love and devotion to the Lord, there can be no rival. There can be no divided loyalty. God has to be first. Now, here's the truth. When God is first, then you are actually in a better place to walk in love towards all of these other relationships. God is the one that will give you and empower you with the grace to walk in love. But you cannot put others before your relationship with the Lord. And this is an important concept. And verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Bearing the cross, that means laying my own life down, dying to myself. Verse 28, for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is pretty strong uh, teaching from Jesus at this moment, with a great multitude follow him. He turns and said, "Hey, listen! I want to just tell you some things. This is what discipleship looks like. And right now, you're following me because the crowds are following, and the miracles, and there's a great sense of expect- expectation. The Messiah has come. Could it be Jesus?" But Jesus says, before you get committed as, and make this step of being a disciple, you better count the cost. You better consider what following me really looks like. Because it, doesn't, it's not, it may not look like you experiencing all the things that you desire in your life. You may have to pick up your cross to follow me. You may have to recognize that I'm looking for complete devotion. This is the cost of discipleship. And if you don't consider that, guess what's going to happen? Somewhere in your journey, somewhere in your Christian walk, you're going to become disenchanted. Well, this isn't what I counted on. This isn't what I thought it was going to look like. You know, I thought God was, I mean, I thought things were going to get really good. I had my whole vision, right? I had my whole kind of expectation, and now it's hard. Or now, you know, it's not turning out the way I desired, and so Jesus is saying, look, to follow me. And now God encourages us to follow. This is, this is the, the true place of life and peace and joy, but it's not without complete devotion and complete exclusive first love of your heart. There could be no rival. There could be no competition for your love for God and your commitment to Christ. Salt is good, but if it loses its flavor... How shall it be seasoned? There are some things that God desires. Salt is preserving. Salt is flavorful, has impact. But listen, if your life becomes disenchanted along the way and your walk with the Lord begins to fade, what, of what use is it? Of what impact does it now have in the kingdom and the things of God? All right, back to Second Chronicles. We see Jehoshaphat. We see one of the commendations of Scripture is that he was, like his father David, this was an exclusive man devoted to God and God alone. But he's more than that. He's more than just a, uh, it's just personal devotion. He's going to become significant in impacting his people. Verse 7, back in 2 Chronicles 19. Is that where I am, 19? 17. 17, sorry, sorry. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders... Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanael, and Micaiah to teach the cities of Judah. Interesting. And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, okay, and some more names, uh, and Jehoram the priest. Verse 9, so they taught in Judah and had the book of the law with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. I mean, this is a king who understands that it's not just his heart that needs to be devoted to the Lord and to his commandments and to his word. We need to teach the people the word of God. And so he assigns these leaders and these Levites, these men who would know the scriptures to go out and go from city to city and begin to teach the people God's word again. What a beautiful picture of of bringing the uh, awakening a nation's heart, teaching them God's word. He understood the power of God's word. He understood that, that it wasn't just about his example, although that was important. It was also about them being literate in the things of the word. And this is, of course, still the model today, as we studied here recently in 2 Timothy. Paul telling Timothy, what? Preach the word. It's good for, edif- for all things practical. It equips the man of God. This is still the model. God desires his word to be known. That's the power. That's the, the life-changing uh, wisdom that God has given to us. Through his word, teach it, preach it, share it. From city to city, Paul said when he, in Acts 20, I went from house to house. I taught you publicly, privately, night and day. I declared the word of God to you. And this is still our emphasis even here tonight. We're teaching the Bible. We're working our way through the scriptures. We think there's wisdom and life here for us. Jesus would say this, again, you don't need to turn, I'll read this for you. Matthew, you know this. When Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, the Great Commission, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How many are familiar with that verse, the Great Commission? This is Jesus right before he ascended, right? He gives his, his disciples kind of their, their marching orders, go make disciples all authority has been given to me i am now empowering and entrusting it to you now go make disciples followers of jesus baptizing them that speaks of their conversion coming to faith in verse 20 the very next verse that he says back to the and i'm still in this great commission passage teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age that's part of the great commission Go make disciples. Well, how are we going to do that? You're going to teach them the things that I taught you. You're going to teach the Word of God. You're going to teach the Gospels. You're going to teach the epistles of the early apostles and what they wrote concerning the teachings of Christ. This is what we do today. This is how disciples are made. You teach the Word of God. They come to faith. They're baptized. Conversion takes place, and then God's Word is taught, and they become disciples, followers of of Christ. Are you teaching anyone today? Are you mentoring anyone today? Is there anyone in your life that you feel God has given to you to help disciple? Maybe a fellow believer? Maybe somebody at work, that a colleague, maybe somebody in the family. Maybe there's someone in your family, you have a special relationship. Maybe God has put that in place for you to be that disciple maker you have opportunity to connect and bring people to Christ. Okay, back to 2nd Chronicles. Pick it up with me verse 10. This is kind of the result. So this is a good king. He loves the Lord. He's following the Lord. He's teaching the nation, verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. And some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver. As tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And then he goes on in the next verses. We won't take the name to read, the, we won't take the time, excuse me, to read the names and the numbers, but he begins to uh, itemize just the mighty men of valor that were raised up during his reign. And closing out the chapter, verse 19, these served the king besides those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all of Judah. So we get this kind of overview of Jehoshaphat's reign. His, his focus on devotion to the Lord, his own discipleship, his teaching God's word throughout the nation and the fruit that it brought the people, and then even the, the, the result of the surrounding nations. It says the fear of God came upon the surrounding nations. You know, there is something about God working in your life. There is something about the Lord's blessing, God's hand a favor upon your life that affects those around you. Now, it says the fear of God, and it resulted in them honoring this king instead of attacking him. The Philistines were always attacking Israel and Judah, but not this one, not this king. They respected this king. Why? The fear of God came upon their heart. Something spiritual was taking place in their heart as a witness to this man's faithfulness, his devotion, his dedication to the Lord. And God will use your life to bring the fear of God in other lives. Now, sometimes we think of the fear of God, you know, somebody's going to get, you know, trembly and, and fall down. And, but, but the fear of God in this case, it just meant there was an honor. They were drawn to this man. They could see the favor of God. And I believe now, you know, that some will not respond that way. You know, some will respond uh, antagonistically towards God's blessing in your life, but not all. Some will see, and the fear of God, those that, whose hearts are open, the fear of God can draw them. You can be a light you can you can have you can make an impact. you know I remember when I was working in the business world i didn't have a, a lot of opportunities to witness to share the gospel and and minister on occasion I did but but I did have occasion on on met several occasions to pray with people there 's something about prayer. people will always let you pray for them almost always. I mean, it could be just the worst sinner in the company and they go through something. Hey, can I pray for you? Oh, yeah, please, please. I need prayer. (laughs) Okay, come on. Sit down. Let's pray. But, you know, there 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 were several occasions where during that time of prayer, I mean, the Holy Spirit was just on them. Some of them begin to weep and just, you know, nothing of me but the fear of God coming upon their heart and me just taking a step of faith. Hey, can I pray for you? Yes, yes, you can. And then that moment, you know, the Lord uses that moment by the Holy Spirit to minister. And then sometimes those prayers would turn into opportunities to witness and to, and to lead people to Christ. Not always. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something I was forcing. But as you live for the Lord, God will use your life even as a witness around you. The fear of the Lord fell. But we could use the fear of God falling Again, couldn't we, couldn't we use the fear of God in our day and our time to see the Holy Spirit even in our own services? To set to, for someone to come in and sense that God is in the place, that God's God is in, amongst this people, just as they see you worship, as they see the love of Christ expressed through you, as they they sense His love in the in the in the in the room. You know, it has a power. It has a way. The fear of God can minister and work in people's hearts. All right, back to our text. I, all right, I've got time. I want to cruise through chapter 18. Now, it's a long chapter, but it's kind of a narrative. So are just kind of read most of it. You'll get the story, and then just a few comments for us, and we'll close. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to interrupt it too much because it kind of speaks for itself. So we get this introduction to Jehoshaphat, and now we get a little detail, a little specific uh, occasion in his life and during his reign. Verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. And by marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Does anybody know? remember Ahab? Who was his wife? Jezebel. This is a notorious couple, right, in the scriptures. Anybody naming their daughters Jezebel or their sons Ahab? No, this is, okay, so he's the king, that's the king and queen in the north. And so right here there's going to be trouble. This will come in in future chapters. But by, you know, and and kings did this, right? They would create alliances between nations by some kind of a marriage. And so his son, Jehoshaphat's son marries Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. You can just imagine what kind of trouble she was going to be and she she was. And you will see it in future chapters. But letting you know that Jehoshaphat is still trying to be, you know, politically wise and, and keep Ahab and Jezebel kind of not as enemies. Okay, verse 2. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up uh, with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So. This is a kind of Jehoshaphat reaching out to his neighbors in the north, and Ahab is all about having him come. Verse 3, So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Will you come help me fight my battles? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. What a bad move. But verse 4, Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Okay, I'll go with you, Ahab, but let's get a prophet to make sure God is going to be with us in this venture. Verse 5. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Wow, 400 prophets, just handy, available for him. Shall we go to war against Ramath-Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? You're starting to get the picture. Ahab's got a bunch of prophets ready to prophesy, right? Oh, sure. You need some, you need some prophecy? i got 400 guys here ready to go. Come on in, guys. Tell, the, show, tell Jehoshaphat what God wants us to do. Oh, go. God's with you. Jehoshaphat said, yeah, is there, is there anyone else that can come that we could hear from? Verse 7, So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. (laughs) I wonder why. Because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. In other words, hey, this man's a prophet of the Lord. Be careful. Verse 8. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne. You can kind of see the pageantry of this event. And they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And while they're waiting on Micaiah, these other prophets, they're just really getting into the prophecy ministry. Look at verse 10. Zedekiah... The son of Chinana, or Chinana, I'm not sure, uh, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. I mean, he's giving visuals now, you know, really getting into it. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, go up to Ramath Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. All right, it reads kind of funny because we know the story, but you kind of you see how this Ahab had become so deceived in his mind that he 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 just wanted people to prophesy the things he wanted to hear. This is not a sincere seeking; this is not really wanting to know what God would say this is i want i I got my plans, and I want god to or I want God to bless it and you know commend it so i 'll find those prophets, quote unquote, to come and tell me what I want to hear. And the one prophet, the true prophet, as it turns out, he doesn't want to, he hates him. He doesn't want to hear anything because he's going to bring, he, he, oh, he's going to tell me the truth, which I don't want. So deceived, so blinded. and But Jehoshaphat is aligning with this crazy man. Jehoshaphat is really in trouble here. He's a good king. He loves the Lord. But For whatever reasons, maybe political reasons, maybe even some sense of wanting to unify the nation, you know, these are God's people too, right? Kind of looking past the differences, never mind his wife Jezebel is this terrible idolatrous, putting to death the true prophets of God. Never mind this Ahab is a self-centered, you know, ego-driven king whose, you know, reputation is notorious, Maybe I can find, you know, and and somehow he gets caught up. Ahab kind of blesses him with this great pageantry and, will you go with me, brother? Hey, can we go as one? I'll go with you. He commits himself. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The scripture in the New Testament tells us as believers, be careful in your relationships. Be careful in partnering up and aligning your life with someone who does not Share your faith, someone that is not godly-minded. Now, this doesn't mean that we isolate and we kind of just, you know, become little closed society, and we have no relationship or friendships outside of the church or other fellow believers. But it does mean that we are mindful and careful of those relationships. It's one thing to go into a relationship looking to be a light looking to win someone to faith looking to love them and demonstrate the love of Christ it's another thing to get caught up in their life and want to be you know kind of enjoying their compromise too well after all we got to be we got to relate we got to be friend and be careful it's a dangerous place and jehoshaphat finds himself compromised here he's tempted to find some common ground but he ends up in committing himself to battle and all of these false prophets around him. Okay, so the true prophet's getting ready to come. Verse 12, Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, (laughs) he's prepping him. The words of the prophets with one accord, all 400 of them, are encouraging the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Don't blow this, please, Micaiah. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Amen. But that is just not what this guy wanted to hear. Verse 14, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So it must have been something in Micaiah's tone, and and I'm going to just kind of pretend like maybe it went something like this. Uh, Micaiah, what should we do? Go prosper. I'm sure you'll be blessed. God's with you. Go, go, go do your thing. Something like that, right? (laughs) Because somehow Ahab knew, you're not telling me the straight story. You're patronizing me. You're being sarcastic. How many times have I told you I need to know the truth? Okay. So Micaiah is kind of just, you know, tells him what he wants to hear, but not really. Verse 15, uh, 16, then he said, and here comes the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd, and the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? I mean, Ahab is a character, isn't he? Then Micaiah said, Micaiah's not done. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day When you go into an inner chamber to hide, don't worry, you're going to be a part of this judgment. Verse 25, Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people, this is a sobering moment. A true prophet of the Lord has come and spoken judgment against the king and the people that will follow him into battle. And he, and he gives us this behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual realities that are going on. It kind of reminds us of Job. Remember when, when Satan came and asked permission of God to, to trial and trouble Job? This spiritual encounter. And this is just a reminder that there are spiritual realities. There are thing there are spiritual forces at work that we cannot see, but they are real and they have impact and effect in our lives and in our circumstance. That's why Paul said we don't war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in high places. But what's interesting here is that the Lord is, is looking for a lying spirit to go and persuade Ahab to attack in this battle to his own destruction. It says in Romans chapter 1 that when a heart becomes hardened towards the truth of God, when you begin to reject the evidence of God in your own heart and you harden yourself against him, the scripture says in Romans chapter 1, you can look at it, that the Lord will actually give that individual over to a debased mind, that he'll give them over to their faulty thinking. And this is, what, this is a judgment. God has been sending prophets for years to Israel. Ahab has been warned. A- Ahab's the one that heard from Elijah. Ahab is the one that has known the way of God, and he has rejected it. And he has hardened his heart against God, and he has continued his stubborn way and, and leading the nation into idolatry. And there comes a time when God says, enough. This man's heart is set. I've sent all the warning. I've been as patient as long-suffering. I've sent miracles. I've sent my prophets. I've performed signs. This man refuses the truth. It's not a man who doesn't know. This is a man who refuses to acknowledge what he does know. And that is the truth that God has revealed to him. And that man God now sends to judgment. And so this warning of those that would resist even truth, spiritual truth, and it, and it comes right into the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, that those who harden their heart against truth, those who refuse to honor God, even the witness of his creation, the evidence of the spirit of God that is within every man. The Bible says God's made himself evident to each man. There's a certain awareness, and as you harden, as you resist, as you refuse truth, then God gives you over to your own deception. He lets you run, and that's the worst kind of judgment, for God to leave you to yourself. For God to turn you you over to your own way. And that's the spiritual scene that we see going on here for Ahab, God giving over those who suppress the truth. Verse 28, we'll finish up with how it ends for Ahab. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, now this is the troubling thing. Jehoshaphat hears this prophecy and yet he goes into battle with Ahab. This Ahab persuades him. Uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I mean, Ahab is, again, just the nerve of this guy. Listen to what he says. I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Look, um, they won't know that I'm a, a ruler and king because I'm going to be in disguise, but you put on all your royal garments as we march out into battle. And Jehoshaphat says, oh, okay. <laughs> now, verse 30. Now, the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. See, Ahab knew there was a hit out on him. They were looking for him in battle. So Ahab wants Jehoshaphat to look like him, and he's in disguise. Verse 31, so it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, the Lord opened their eyes to see this was the wrong guy that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random, just kind of shooting a bow into the enemy, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Perfect shot. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in, the, in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And at about the time of sunset he died. This is how Ahab comes to his end. Ahab can't escape the word of God. He cannot escape the judgment of God. He tries and he'd been doing it his whole life. His whole life he'd been trying to work around and manipulate and manage his kingdom. You see moments where he seems to be like affirming God in his life, but then so easily persuaded back into his old ways. And his wife Jezebel was quite a distraction. And even now at the end, he imagines that even though the prophet has warned him, even though that God has spoken, I can manipulate this. I can get get Jehoshaphat. He seems kind of naive, and he does seem kind of naive. I'll let him take the fall, and maybe we'll win this battle, and I'll be safe. But Jehoshaphat, in his his moment of weakness, his moment of crisis, he cries out to the Lord. Now think about the mercy of God. God could have said, Jehoshaphat, you got into this thing by aligning yourself with this crazy king. What what are you doing? Now you're going to have to endure what comes with your bad decisions. But instead, the Lord is merciful and delivers him, rescues him out of this situation. And Ahab... Just a random shot becomes a perfect shot, and his life comes to an end. The next few verses in chapter nineteen uh, tell us, and we 'll look at it uh, next next time we 're together. Uh, jehoshaphat returns home, and the prophet comes and says to him, "Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. You know God was not pleased with jehoshaphat 's decisions here, and it is it does seem to be almost Uh, Hard to believe that Jehoshaphat would be so naive, that he would be so uh, confused. But this is a warning for even the good king and even for us as believers. When you begin to compromise and you put yourself in compromising circumstances, sometimes your discernment is not so sharp. Sometimes you don't see things as clearly as you should because you're not in that safe place. You're not in that place of being sincere with the Lord. Whatever he was thinking, he shouldn't have been there aligning himself with that king. He must have known better. But he thought, well, for the sake of the nation and the politics and, you know, these are our brothers too. Whatever he was thinking, some compromising thought, he got himself into this place of compromise and it, it messed with his his, his reasoning. And be careful, believer. You know, we need the Lord's wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit and his guidance. Jesus, you know, telling his disciples, be watchful and pray lest you enter into temptation. Uh, this idea that we can, you know, kind of mingle in and out of our spiritual, you know, I can walk the world a little while and jump back into my Christian commitment. And I can, you know, I can find this blend. You're in muddy water. You're, your discernment is, is going to be missing. You're, Jehoshaphat finds himself very naive, very kind of lack of discernment because he's compromised, it almost costs him his life, but in his, you know, when, when, the, when the army is pressing in on him, he comes to his senses, oh, God, get me out of this one. And the Lord is merciful. The Lord delivers him. How many times has the Lord delivered us out of a predicament that we got ourselves into, right? Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your mercy. Maybe you're in one of those tonight. Listen, cry out to the Lord. Keep, keep your heart devoted to the Lord. We've got to be careful. This is a good king. This is one of the better kings of Ju- of all of Judah, and yet we see the dangers lurking, the spiritual dangers lurking, uh, and so we have to be on guard, even as believers. And I don't want you to be panicked and fearful, and you know, spooked and like, oh my God, what's going? You know, there's a demon around every corner looking to you know, wipe me out. No, walk in the light, walk in peace, walk in the confidence of God's love and God's grace, but be sincere. You know, be sincere. No, Don't compromise. When you compromise, not only do you open up trouble for your life, but you you lose some of the discernment that you need to navigate wisely through the things that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you tonight for this passage and this story of these two kings. And Lord, there is wisdom here for us. We look at these men and... Lord, with, with the benefit of hindsight and kind of knowing how the story plays out, we can kind of see the, the pitfalls, the mistakes. We can see the warnings. We can see how the Holy Spirit was working, even through Micah, Micaiah the prophet, trying to bring warning, even to a king that didn't want it. And yet God was faithful to warn. God was faithful to speak. And so, Lord, we pray. I pray tonight that our own hearts will glean some wisdom. Lord, we need wisdom. We need your direction in our life. We know that there are spiritual forces that would work against our faith and work against our, our calling and, and the good purpose that you have for our lives. We're mindful tonight that we need to stay, Lord, devoted in heart to you. We need to be sincere. And we need to walk in full commitment as disciples of Christ. And Lord, as we close tonight, I just pray that if there are any hearts here that you're speaking to, maybe even someone needs to respond to you tonight. Lord, I I just want to give opportunity for them and to pray for them. So just as we close, before we finish out with a song of worship, I'm wanting to just pray for anyone here who needs it. Maybe you're here tonight and, and I'm thinking of maybe someone who's trying to ride the fence a little bit. Maybe you are trying to mingle in two camps. Maybe you're trying to balance this Christian life with, you know, some attractions of the flesh or some relationships that are not healthy for you. It, it, and you're being tempted to kind of try and manage it and balance it. And your heart tonight, the Lord's speaking to you and saying, hey, you need to get out of there. You need to get away from that. You need to put that down. You need to come and follow me wholeheartedly. Maybe there's a heart here tonight that just needs to acknowledge that between the Lord like Jehoshaphat, just cry out, even in the midst of a battle, even in the bits of a trial or trouble. Let the Lord bring mercy and grace and rescue you from whatever situation you may find yourself in tonight. So that's one prayer request. The other prayer request is uh, the heart tonight that that just uh, is discouraged the heart tonight that is feeling overwhelmed and sometimes in discouragement and being overwhelmed we don't have good discernment and you might even be considering some some options that kind of deep down you know that that's not good that's not right but I'm so frustrated I'm so discouraged I'm just gonna do it anyway and you're on the you kind of on on the edge of a decision and I just feel like the Lord wants to say don't like Micaiah don't I've seen how this ends don't do it let every man return to his tent come home go back to the Lord repent and turn your heart back to him don't in a moment of discouragement frustration in a lack of discernment, make a decision that's going to be trouble for you. So maybe you're here tonight and these, one of these things that I'm kind of sensing is your heart and you want prayer. I'm going to ask you to respond. If you're here tonight and you're somewhere blending trying to compromise and walk the line and you know the Lord is asking you to get out of it and get rescued and come home, or maybe you're on the cusp of something out of frustration, discouragement, and you're you got a decision before you and the Lord you've sensed the Lord warning your heart tonight and you want to say, Lord, I hear you and I'm going to obey you. If that's your heart here tonight, just raise your hand. Gotta be a unique response. God bless you. God bless you. Number of hands. Amen. Back, number of hands. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. So let me pray for you and then we'll 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 worship the Lord. So Lord, a number of hearts here tonight. So thankful for your word, how it opens our hearts up, how it finds its mark and kind of just reveals truth to us, even to our own conscience and understanding. And Lord, these hearts responding tonight, I pray that you would meet them with mercy, with love, with grace. Lord, we see it in Jehoshaphat. Even out in the midst of trouble, he cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. Lord, let every heart here tonight know that you love them and that this is your spirit ministering to them because you want to rescue. You want to bring them home. You want to bring them to a place of true discipleship and following you. God, just as Jehoshaphat, he needed to get home, back to that place where his heart delighted in, the, in following after his Lord. God, minister into these hearts. Lord, there may be some that need to repent. Lord, we're, we're honest tonight. Forgive us. There may be some here tonight, Lord, that are just giving place to discouragement. Lord, forgive us. Give us faith tonight. No matter the circumstance, it's, it's never improved by disobedience, by, by sin, by bad choices. Lord, that's never going to bring out something better. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for your encouragement tonight, Lord. I pray these hearts would be encouraged. And Lord, that that this would be evidence to them how much you love them, how much you care about their every step, their every decision, that you love them and want them close to you. We ask for all of this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.